welcome to the Dojo Talk Podcast. Please remove them shoes before entry. Say Master is here and you still have not taken off your shoes. Every day to define man's mission yeah. Look into the sky for divine transmission yeah. Deaf man's vision makes the blind man listen yeah. Eyes on the prize, this is blind ambition Thank you yo, 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 yo. What's going on world? I'm back um, This is episode, what, three of the Dojo Talk Podcast I'm your host, Serial Sensei and yeah, another week. It is January. What day is it? January the twelfth. Um, pretty gloomy day outside, at least on my side of the world. Well, sun might be coming out, but I'm here. Excuse my voice. I have been sick this entire week. Actually, I'm. I feel like this entire month, to be honest. And I've been coughing, so if I die and cough on this podcast, I apologize in advance, but just warning you, it might happen. Um, I got a lot to, got a lot I want to try to run through. Uh, hopefully, I can do within like an hour or so. Um, I got some sports I want to talk about, um, but the main focus, I do want to get to two animes that I did uh, recently finished, which are Your Lie in April and the second season of Ijean, uh that popped up on Netflix. Um, hopefully, I can get to those, but I got to start off with my sports talk a bit. And actually, before I do my sports talk, just so there's no confusion, I got to throw my sports allegiances out there now <laughs> so people know what teams I actively root for, so you know what biases I may or may not have. So I'm going to just run down real quick. The sports that I watch or semi keep an eye on somewhat. So y'all know who I'm rooting for, who I don't really mess with, all that good stuff. Um, So actually the first thing I wanted to talk about was college football. So I'm going to just run down my college teams real quick. It's real simple. Texas Longhorns, TCU Horn Frogs. And that's it. Shout outs to my stepbrother. He used to play uh, for TCU back when, you know, them and Boise State were kind of like the two teams that weren't you know, nationally notarized, but they were on the come up. Um, Unfortunately, both of my teams, Texas especially, didn't have (laughs) a good year at all. And TCU made it to a bowl game, but I think they lost to Georgia. I don't remember because, honestly, I didn't watch that game because I think it came on while I was at work. But um, shout out to Gary Patterson, though, man. He's done a good job of making that program, like, noticeable within the last you know, five, six years, they've really blown up on the map. Remember, there was one time when pretty much all the main Texas teams in football, it was either, if it wasn't the Longhorns, you played for A&M, or you played for Texas Tech, or maybe you played for Baylor. And TCU's finally, they're getting there. They're just due. Hopefully, you know, they can make some improvements next season, but those are my college teams, NFL teams, Dallas Cowboys, Indianapolis Colts, only two teams I root for, NBA, San Antonio Spurs, that's it, don't root for anybody else, I have individual players that I like, but as far as the squad, just the Spurs, um, is that all the sports I watch? Oh no, college basketball, which I don't keep as much an eye on as I used to, but college basketball, Texas Longhorns. Uh, North Carolina, of course, and the Maryland Terps, which is weird. It's the only Maryland team that I feel like I like actively root for because I'm not a Ravens fan. And I don't say I don't care for Terps football, but I'm not like a huge fan, but I do like their basketball team. So just wanted to throw my sports alliances out there real quick. So with that being said, um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the national championship game because unfortunately <laughs> I actually did not watch the whole game. Um, I had to work really early that next morning and I wanted to sacrifice my sleep to watch it. And to be honest, when I woke up and saw the result, I regret not staying up and watching that game because I am a firm Alabama hater ever since they beat uh, the Longhorns in our national championship game way back when I can't remember what year that was. I feel like that was the mid mid two thousands or maybe 
maybe around 2010. I'm not sure, but I remember it was back when Colt McCoy, you know, was doing his thing, and Colt got injured like the second, it was like the first or second play of the game, and he got took out, and he got injured, and we almost made a comeback, man. And I firmly believe if Colt McCoy would have played that whole game, we would have won. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't watch this whole game. I only saw the first half, and I just remember remember watching the first half, and for most of the first half, it just kind of seemed like Alabama was going to do what Alabama was going to do. The defense is, you know, when you talk about Alabama, that's that's what you hear about the most. And as much as I don't like to admit it, it's true. That defense is stout. They shut people down. And they were shutting Clemson down. Deshaun Watson, he looked lost in that first half. Like, he didn't know what was going on. But something told me I should have stayed up and watched because the two things in that first half that stood out was that even though Bama's defense pretty much dominated, their offense was not that great. And they only, I believe put up six points in the half. I might be wrong, but they didn't, they let Clemson kind of linger around. Like they didn't run as, as dominant as they were. The scoreboard, I feel like the scoreboard didn't really tell how dominant they were. Like they should have scored or been able to had a more sizable lead going into halftime. And I remember right before halftime, like a little bit before halftime started, you could kind of see that Deshaun Watson was he was getting his footing and he was starting to make a few plays and it looked like Clemson was finally starting to wake up. I unfortunately I was just I was so tired that day and I knew I had to be up for work early the next morning. So I couldn't watch it, but from what I've heard I missed greatness and I'm <laughs> I'm mad that I excuse me. I'm I'm disappointed that I I know I missed something epic. I woke up and uh, I watched the highlights of that game, man. And from what I saw, the fourth quarter just looked amazing. And the word that I've been hearing is the game wasn't as good as the uh, Texas and USC, which I think was the Rose Bowl uh, back in the day. But people are saying that it was up there. And that's a bold statement because for me, the Texas and USC championship game. Not to me it's not even just the greatest college game. That's the greatest football game, I think, period, that I've ever watched. Like I feel bad for people who weren't I don't know, like if you weren't in the college football back then and you you missed that game and you missed you missed legendary performances from you know, USC had Matt Leonard and Reggie Bush who I believe won the Heisman that year and he was beast in that game. We saw Vince Young cement himself in a legendary performance in that game. And it, it kind of looked like, from what I saw from the highlights, that Deshaun Watson did something similar, man. It, it looked like, I guess, eventually they woke up. And I'll say, and I guess take my opinion with a grain of salt because I didn't watch the whole game, but the one, the edge that I felt like Clemson would have going into this game was the offense. Because, and not to bash Alabama's quarterback, because he is only a freshman. So, I mean, he's only going to do but so much. But in the games that I've seen from them, from like the beginning of the season up and, you know, up until the national championship, he never really, he never really progressed to me. Like, they just kind of leaned on the defense to, to do the work. And it's not to say that he's a bad quarterback. And I'm pretty sure under Nick Saban, he'll he'll find his way. He'll eventually get better. But it just feels like this season he didn't improve enough. And when you're you got Deshaun Watson on the other side of the field, and we know when when Watson's on, man, he's he's on like, and he he showed out when he needed to. And I think ultimately it just it came down to quarterback play. You know, who's going to make the big plays when we need them to happen? And Deshaun Watson, and also shout out to uh, Clemson's receiver Mike Williams because he was he was out there beasting from what I saw on the highlights. Those two dudes lit it up, man. Like, they, they wanted it. I think after last year, 
after falling short, them them boys they were ready. They they wanted this rematch. They wanted this win. And I don't know if if um, Alabama getting rid of Lane Kiffin at the last second, which to me is crazy, but <laughs> I don't know if maybe that might have played a role in Jalen Hurts. But I mean, Kiffin was replaced with Sarkeesian, who's more than capable. But again, it's it's a last minute change, and it's your national championship game, and you're with a new offensive coordinator. Like <laughs> I just feel like that's not that's not the time you want to switch out personnel and fire people. But I'm I'm pretty sure in the long run it'll work out. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Sarkeesian can get them on the right track. But for that that one game when you needed it the most, you know, yeah, I guess for, for Bama it just it just didn't happen, but. We'll see what what happens next season. Um, I hope I hope I'm glad to see that uh, Deshaun Watson did declare for the draft. I'm praying that he doesn't somehow, by strange twist of events, end up in Cleveland. But from what I'm hearing in the draft, I think they're I think they're going. They might draft defense their first pick, which I felt they need everything. So <laughs> whatever they draft, whatever position they need it, and just hopefully they don't go quarterback. I don't want to see Deshaun Watson go to Cleveland and have all of his potential talent and, you know, just everything go to waste. Because we all know, man, you go to Cleveland, that's where your career goes to die. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you make it out of Cleveland and you live to prosper, you're a rare, you're a rare breed of person. But, um, yeah, that's that's all I got on national championship game. Like I said, I, I wish I could go more in depth, but unfortunately I, I didn't actually watch it. Um, But I did watch these wild card games uh, for the NFL that I want to get into real quick. Um, I don't spend too much time on these because honestly, most of these games I honestly did not care to see. I was semi interested in Oakland versus Houston. And then when Derek Carr went down, you know, I forgot. I don't remember if that was the last game of their season. Maybe it was a couple games before the last game, but I just, I lost all interest in that game. And I'm mad that I actually watched that game in spite of me knowing I was going to be disappointed. And it just it just felt off watching it. Like, I know for a fact, and I'm, I'm not an Oakland fan, but I was rooting for Oakland because I wanted I like seeing new, new faces in the playoffs. I like seeing new stars emerge. And Derek Carr looked like he was going to be that next guy. And I, I know for a fact if Derek Carr plays in that game, this is not the same outcome. I mean, props to Brock Osweiler. He definitely went out there. He did his thing. But I know for a fact, if Derek Carr plays that game, there's no way. I'm not saying Houston couldn't have won. I won't say that. But I don't think they won 27-14. Maybe they win 27-26. Maybe they go to overtime. I don't know. But, yeah, so that, that game was that game was disappointing. Seattle versus Detroit, eh, do we really care? Seattle smacked them in the mouth pretty much. Pittsburgh versus Miami. Eh, once again, do we really care? I think we all kind of knew. We knew what was going to happen that game, that Pittsburgh was going to come out and punch them in the mouth and just keep punching them in the mouth. I mean, when you got Le'Veon Bell, Big Ben, <laughs> Antonio Brown on the same team, all firing at all cylinders, like, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. Who did Miami have? They, Matt Moore? Or I don't remember. I'm probably not even saying the guy's name right. Whoever their quarterback was who replaced Tannenhill. Like, what are they going to do against Pittsburgh? So, yeah, those those games didn't care about. But the one game I will mention as a Cowboys fan that I had my very, very close eye on was Green Bay in New York. And I don't like to trash talk. But... I had to hear from Giants fans this entire season about, oh, we swept y'all in the regular season and we're going to do it again in the playoffs. And I stayed quiet. And the reason I stayed quiet is because I knew we had a bye week and at best the Giants would get a wild card. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to let y'all enjoy these. I'll let y'all enjoy the season sweep. I'll give you props where it's due. Both times y'all played us, y'all defense showed up. You know, it was one of the few times y'all made Dak. He he looked like a rookie. You know, they they got after him. They, their defense they they did the thing. But 
my thing was, listen, this is that's regular season. That's cool and all. You got the season sweep. Great job. It's playoff time now. This is when it really counts. So let's see if y'all can even make it past the wild card to even get the chance to play us. And when I saw that they were playing Green Bay, I had a feeling there was a chance for an upset. Really, I can't even call it an upset because Green Bay came into the playoffs on just a hot streak. And that game was interesting. Kind of much like the Alabama-Clemson game where in the first half, New York's defense, they were shutting Aaron Rodgers down. Like, they they just, yeah. They, they <laughs> Rodgers, they, that first half, he didn't, really not even just him, just nobody couldn't get anything off. They couldn't get any plays going. Nothing just, nothing seemed to be clicking. It was like all that momentum that they came into the playoffs with just seemed like it disappeared for a little bit. But much like the Alabama-Clemson game, you can't go into halftime up like, I um, remember they up like six to nothing. Or, or I forgot if Green Bay, maybe maybe they scored. But I remember like when the halftime, when halftime came around, it was like you can't go into halftime and only be beating Aaron Rodgers maybe by a point or have him up by a point. I honestly can't remember how, what the score was at half, but I know it was close. Because the thing about Aaron Rodgers is at some point he's going to turn it on. And as good as new as the Giants' defense was that first half, their offense was terrible. And <laughs> like, and I I like to rag on Eli. I feel like he's an easy target to make fun of. But I can't even blame Eli for this loss because Odell Beckham and uh, the other guy Sterling is dropping passes like nobody's business. And it's not like the passes that they were dropping were. It's not like they were bad throws. Eli was putting the ball where it needed to be. Two of those drops, I believe, were touchdown um, receptions. Or that should have been touchdown receptions that both got dropped. And their offense just looked, it was so out of sync. And, I mean, realistically, if, if those drop passes don't happen, Giants should have been up like 21-0 to zero in the first half. Like, the plays were there and they just weren't making them. And I know it's a whole fuss about, you know, Odell and them were on the boat and all that stuff. I'm not even going to talk about that. All I know is it was playoff time, and y'all didn't, they didn't show up at all. And Aaron Rodgers showed up in that second half, and he lit them up. Like, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, man, when, when people mention elite quarterbacks, this is what an elite quarterback looks like. And I don't mean to turn this into a Ravens bashing session, being a Maryland resident. I'm actually neutral on the Ravens, but I've, I've seen a few Ravens fans who I think are a bit delusional when they say Joe Flacco is an elite quarterback. And it's like, no, bruh, he's not. Aaron Rodgers, when, when Flacco does, can make some of the throws that Aaron Rodgers makes, then, then come back to me and we'll, we'll have that elite QB conversation. But as of now, it's not even close, man. This dude, he just does some of the, the way he can extend plays and just some of the passes he makes. It's like, he's not, this guy's not human. Like, he's not from here. And the Hail Mary, <laughs> funny thing about the Hail Mary is, right before that play happened, you knew, I knew they were going to throw a Hail Mary. And... I just assumed, man, John's defense, they'll show up. Let me run downstairs real quick. I need to whip up something to, to eat real quick. So I'm texting my friend, and I'm like, hey, man, let me let me know if uh, somebody scores or anything happens. I went downstairs all of, like, got downstairs, maybe like five seconds later, I'm getting another text. Green Bay scores. I rushed back upstairs to watch the Hail Mary, and, <laughs> I just, I have so many questions. Like, he he made that Hail Mary look like, like it was backyard play, like something they've been, which I'm pretty sure they probably do practice it, but it shouldn't look that easy. Like, the receiver, it landed right in his arms, like he was holding a newborn baby. Like, he placed the ball perfectly. 
and he just slowly just went to the back of the end zone at the very edge of the end zone and Rodgers placed the ball perfectly and I heard this actually on uh, Joe Button's podcast because they covered the game a little bit I'd have to go back and watch the play because I don't remember but I remember them saying nobody jumped and I don't remember if that's the case but I wouldn't doubt it because Hail Mary shouldn't look that easy there's no reason why this guy's in the back of the end zone and no he didn't even have to fight for the ball like it just got lobbed up and it just dropped right perfectly in his hands and then from that point on the game pretty much it was the Aaron Rodgers show he just he did what he did what Aaron Rodgers does and he just lit he just picked that defense apart even with no Jordy Nelson he he lit that defense just on fire. So props to them. As a Cowboys fan, I'm definitely looking forward to playing them next week. I know we beat them in the regular season, but I also know that that wasn't that's not the same team. This game is going to be different. I do believe that Dallas can and will still win. Um, I believe the running game will do enough work to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field so he won't be out here making these crazy Hail Marys and and everything else that he can do. But I think this I think it's gonna be a tight game. But I think I think with our running game, if if it keeps doing what it's doing, I think we outlast them. I think we probably have a pretty high scoring game, but I think we edge them out. And yeah. But I'm I'm looking forward to to that game next week. And actually this this entire next week well, actually, I guess I should say this week because these games are coming on uh, this Saturday and Sunday. But all of these games are intriguing. And I'm so glad that they start around like four or at least the Saturday ones do. So I'll be off of work so I can watch all of them. Seattle and Atlanta, that's going to be a really good game. I'm interested to see if if this is going to be the year that Atlanta actually does something in the playoffs. Because I feel like every year and like I, I like Matt Ryan as a player and I like Julio Jones but it just seems like every year we have the story where in the regular season they're lighting it up they're they're giving people the business and then they get to the playoffs and they just they just fall flat but we'll see this year that offense is is on fire as always but it looks even better than it has in in previous years and Seattle man it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough game I want to say, I want to believe in Atlanta and say they'll win just because I just think the offense, I think if the offense can get on, they'll, they'll be too much. Not saying they'll blow Seattle out, but I, I think they'll be, they'll be able to, they'll be able to hang in there and they'll be able to pull it out in the clutch moments when they need to. Um, but that, that's going to be a, it's going to be a tough game because Seattle, Seattle's rolling. And they they gave they gave Detroit <laughs> the paddle. They they paddled them right out the postseason. And with the experience they got, they've made Super Bowl runs before. They've won Super Bowls. They know what it takes. What's at stake. So you know they're gonna show up. Um, but if I had to make a pick, I'll go out on the limb. I'm gonna believe in Matt Ryan. I'm gonna believe in Julio Jones. And that I ain't saying they're gonna win the Super Bowl this year because of course I'm rooting for Dallas. But realistically speaking. Atlanta does have a chance to win a Super Bowl. That team is definitely that good if they can just keep keep up what they're doing and not not just fall flat in the playoffs like they've done in years past. Um, Houston versus New England, man, do we really care about this game? As much as I would love love to see Houston pull an upset, the realist the realist in me knows Bill Pelich- Bill Belichick, <laughs> Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Brock Osweiler's not going to know what hit him. Like, <laughs> he's not going to know what hit him when that game is over. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if New England just smashes them by, like, at least 30 points. But you never know. Crazier things have happened. But if I'm a betting man, as much as I hate Brady and I hate the Patriots, you got to go with the Patriots in, in that scenario, in that game. Even though I do think in the AFC – and I've said this before, and I guess I'll do this leading on to the next game. If Pittsburgh 
beats Kansas City, I feel confident saying Pittsburgh's going to the Super Bowl. I just think that trio of, of Brown, Ben, and Bell, they're not a lot of people that can stop that. And I on I think they can be I think they can beat the Pats. I honestly I honestly believe they can beat the Pats. And it's not to say that this Kansas City game is a gimme game, because Kansas City's been they've been doing their thing too. But just Ben, Brown and Bell, like that's that's a nasty trio and they're all on right now. Like Brown, of course, easily you could argue best receiver in the league. Big Ben is Big Ben is Big Ben. Big Ben always shows up. He can win those really tough and gritty games, you know. Not the prettiest of wins, but he knows how to gut him out. And Bell, you know, people argue him and Zeke. That's one and two. Of course, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm gonna argue Zeke <laughs> because you know, I got I got to stick by my my team. But Bell's that dude, man. This is he's no joke. That. He trashes defenses, like, and I, I don't know if, I just, I look at Kansas City, and I, I'm just like, how are y'all going to win this? I know, you know, Alex Smith, he's, he's good. I got Kelsey, you know, he's doing his thing, but I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be enough, but I'll, I'm sticking to my guns. If, if, if Pittsburgh gets out of this game, which I, I think is, I don't think this will be a blowout. I think this will be a tough. I think Kansas City will definitely play them tough. But if, if Pittsburgh gets out of this game and they win, I think they're going to the Super Bowl. And for the Dallas-Green Bay game, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, it's going to be a fight. I think we're going to see a lot of points, a lot of scoring, a lot of crazy things probably on offense. I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers is going to have a few of those moments like he did in the Giants. I'm just hoping he doesn't catch us with a Hail Mary. <laughs> but we're, it's, it's going to be an exciting game. I think the, these playoffs this year is, is definitely, I mean, aside from New England and Houston, um, these playoffs are going to be interesting. We're definitely going to see some some great football. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that pretty much covers the uh, – the sports is pretty much all I've been watching. Honestly, haven't been keeping my eye on the NBA too much. I don't really know what's going on. I honestly normally don't pay attention to the NBA until playoff time. But I want to, I guess, since I'm finished sports, let me get into my main uh, my main topics that I wanted to talk about. So the first anime that I watched, and I finished this... I think I finished this a few weeks ago, and I have no notes. I'm kind of going off the top. All right, well, I do have the Wikipedia page pulled up in front of me, but <laughs> I normally like to take notes so I can remember certain things, but I'm doing this off the top. Um, so I ventured out of my my little anime comfort zone. I like to normally watch things that are more action-oriented, things that are, excuse me, things that are a little more serious I guess you could say um but recently I've kind of stepped out of my zone a little bit stopped watching people get punched in the face and started watching shows like uh, Death Parade that was uh recommended to me by a friend that was a pretty cool uh drama I watched Erased which was a really it was a really dope um kind of like suspense uh drama-ish if, as you will and then I had a friend who recommended uh, Your Line April to me since I told him I was kind of on this drama kick. I was trying to watch something a little different than what I normally watch. And I came across Your Line in April. And this show, for anybody who hasn't watched, um, it's very musical influenced. Uh, the main character, his name is Kosei Arima. And this show for me is kind of like a tale of two halves. Um, the main, I guess you could say, plot of the show is Kosei has, you know, he was, he's pretty much like a prodigy child pianist, you know, you know, the child geniuses that people that just, that at like age five, they're doing like these crazy recitals and they're playing better than like any adult on earth. <laughs> and, you know, he was kind of one of those kids and 
he his his mom was really really hard on him to the point of like abuse about getting him to play the piano and the plot of the the show is after his mom died he kind of fell out of the whole music thing and the show is at least the first half centers more on him trying to get you know he's trying to get his he's trying to get back into the into the music into playing the piano and he does so with the help of a friend actually i could should say she kind of dragged him into it because before he met her he wasn't even he wasn't trying to play the piano um but he met a violinist named kaori i hope i'm saying her name right um she 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 met him and it was kind of a love one uh, a love at first sight i should say and he loved how she played music but he also loved her too i should mention these are all like teenagers between probably like 13 14 around that age but you know it, the first half of the show was about trying to she was trying to just get him back into it because he he fell off really hard and he he had this he has these episodes where when he tries to play the piano kind of brings back like traumatic memories of his of his mom and how she used to treat him and it, it almost kind of like it triggers him and he has this weird thing where he'll play the piano and then he can't hear the notes and then he just he kind of starts freaking out because he can't hear the notes even though in, in real life he's actually not doing anything wrong but in his mind he just I don't know it's like it's just really traumatic for him to play because he attaches the piano to the memory of his mom and all those memories unfortunately for him weren't all so good and the first half of the show is kind of her just slowly getting him to tip you know inch by inch back into the piano because she realizes how talented he is and she you know she doesn't want his talent to go to waste she doesn't like seeing him mope around all the time and she you know she wants the best for him so on one front you know the show is definitely has a lot about music of course you you hear a lot of piano in here a lot of the um the episodes are centered around like competitions so you hear people you hear the violin you hear people play these you know great like classical music pieces so on one end it's a lot about the music and then on the other half of the show it's also a lot about you know friendships and relationships and just trying to trying to just make it through life you know for him specifically uh for Kose just as a musician or a struggling musician who's trying to get back it's him trying to kind of trying to like find his footing you know back in back in music so the the first half of the show really focuses on that aspect of her getting him to play again you know he slowly starts to practice again she convinces him or <laughs> sometimes forces him to play in competitions where he's he's he he doesn't want to play in front of people but he kind of admires her so much that he he ends up you know he musters up the courage to do it and even the times when he goes on stage and he still has those moments where he might freak out in the middle of a performance he's he manages to finish his performances, which in itself is a victory because sometimes he, he can push himself through the parts where he, he just kind of like freezes up or, or whatever. So it's just a real it's a real good, you know, dynamic and exploration of just, you know, friendship and trying to help each other out and him just trying to find his purpose. Uh, you know, he's kind of one of those kids he Kose was a, a loner pretty much I mean he had he had a few friends there were a couple of uh, other side characters worth that worth noting I should say um Tsubaki who was his childhood I guess you could say like best friend and Watari who uh he met later on or was he see this is a bad part we don't have notes but I think he met him later on but he knew Tsubaki since he was younger and it's kind of weird and i don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it there's like a love like triangle slash quadruplet like there's a lot a lot of love <laughs> going on in this show and you kind of see 
you see how it plays out. That's also a major part of like. Actually, I can't even just say the first half because it definitely carries on into the second. But what I was interested in is, you know, during the first half of the show, I'm like, all right, I, I really, I can appreciate this show. I like, of course, anybody who listens to this podcast, you know I me, mean? I love music. I don't listen to like classical, but I appreciate music in any form. So I was like, all right, this is cool. You know, you get to see this kid kind of grow and progress and you get to see him get his feet back, you know, get his feet back under him. And it's good to see, you know, his friends are helping him out. So the first half of the show was about that. And then without spoiling it too much, you know, as eventually he starts getting into competitions and after the competitions start to happen, well, I'm like, all right, well, what are they, where's the show going to go now? Because when you first start watching it, it just kind of seems like that's the point that the show is just him getting back into the music. And once he makes it back into the music, like, all right, now what do we, where does the show go from here? And then the second half of the show kicks off. And um, show's only in episodes 20. I wish I had it pulled up. Oh, no, I do have it pulled up in front of me. It's about 22 episodes. Something like that. So towards the the second half is kind of when the show gets really <laughs> really depressing um i guess without you know running the risk of spoiling i don't want to be that guy even though this show's been out for a while but you you find out some things about uh kaori which is the girl that he's kind of secretly in love with it's not really a secret it's kind of obvious even though in the show, I feel like they made that dynamic a little weird because you, you kind of knew that he loved her, but I guess, you know, he was kind of a, a shy kid, so he didn't really, he didn't really outright say it, but as a viewer, you, you definitely catch on to it. But towards the uh, second half of the show is when it goes past the music. In fact, you could argue that the second half of the show isn't even so much about the music anymore. I mean, it's it's still there, but I feel like the mood and everything kind of shifts and it focuses a lot more on his relationship with Kaori and also with his friend Subaki and this whole little kind of love triangle thing they got going on, which, I, like I said, to avoid spoilers, I won't really get into, but start to see that play out and then you find out some things about Kaori um how do I say this without spoiling you find out things about Kaori that make you think this relationship might not go so good this might end on a bad note and he Kosei kind of knows he knows that something's up and that something's wrong and he's kind of stuck at this crossroad because he kind of has no idea what to do and then that aspect is when like his personal life also starts to mess with his music and he kind of falls back into this funk again and that's kind of how the second half is the second half of the show is to me kind of represented him the first half was him getting his feet back under him and now it's like, all right, now we got to start walking. And even when things go bad, we got to keep walking. And that's kind of how the second half of the show play, plays out. And like I said, I won't spoil the ending, but man, depressing. Heartfelt, I'm trying to think of even how to describe it. Heartfelt, but still depressing the way it ended. But I do like. I ain't gonna say I like the ending, but it was cool. Like I, I can I guess I can kind of see why they ended it the way they did. But all in all, this is definitely one of those shows, you know. It'll it'll tug at the heartstrings a lot at times. Um if you like dramas, if you like emotion, you like a little bit of a little bit of comedy, a little bit of romance sprinkled in with some music and your anime give the show give it a shot 
it was it was definitely worth the watch. When I first started watching it, about the first two episodes, I kind of I was like, "Eh, hey, this is okay, but it's not, you know, not really my cup of tea." But I kept watching it, and by the time I finished it, I was like, "This was this was worth it." It was it was different than what I'm normally watching, even though I, to be honest, after I watched that show, um, it was so depressing that I don't think I'm gonna watch dramas for a while now. I want to go back to watching shows where people get punched in the face. <laughs> I want to watch shows with a little more simpler plots, not so much emotion going on. But it was it was definitely it was worth the watch, man. Um, lots of things to appreciate. Just good emotion, great character development, um, great music if you love classical music. And it just kind of it twists a lot of different elements all into one just good show. And you know, it I think it whatever what it set out to accomplish it definitely accomplished to me what I took away from it mainly it was it was just about growth you know just somebody who kind of lost their way and they kind of found their way back again and they still you know got to go through hardships but they figured out how to get through it and how to deal with it so yeah your line April that's that's on Netflix so if you got Netflix you like drama animes or maybe you want to watch something a little different man give it a shot uh, try to make it past the first couple episodes. Like I said, the first about two episodes, you might be kind of like, eh, but give it, give it time to, to build up. And I think you'll learn, uh, you'll learn to like it like I did. Um, but I'm going to switch gears now because that show is depressing to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about something a little more up my alley, <laughs> a little, a little more, a little more violent. Um, I did not know that I didn't, I season two on Netflix until my brother told me so about two days after he told me I pretty much decided alright I'm going to binge this um, for people who don't know Ajin is a Netflix one of those Netflix exclusive animes um, it is done in a similar animation style as Knights of Sidonia if you've watched that so if if you feel kind of weirded out by like that kind of like cell shade 3D style whatever you want to call it, anime, this might not be for you, but if you can get past that, because it, it is, and even now, even after watching Knights of Sidonia in season one of Ajin, there are still times when that kind of animation style, like it, it bugs me a little bit, but if you can get past that part, it's a pretty dope show, especially if you just like action uh, anime. Um, Ajin in general is about Ajins, <laughs> they are Ajins are are pretty much like demi humans. They're humans that can't die, and normally the way that they find out they can't die is somehow you get killed, you get hit by a truck, uh, like our main character did, and you you end up getting back up, and you have like this black. Uh, how do I describe it? They emit like these black like dust particles that form into what Ajing are and Ajing are kind of like it's kind of like your ghost beast <laughs> if you will that kind of follows you around but it can fight it can take commands if you know how to control it it's dope uh, I, I love the the style of the actual like Ajing ghost spirit whatever you want to call them um, so season two I, I guess if you haven't seen season one um, quick brief rundown of season one. Uh, the main character is Kei Nagai, and he's just kind of like this little morbid, really Debbie Downer kind of kid almost. Like <laughs> it seems like he has a disdain for everybody around him. Um, but he finds out in season one that he's an Ajin, and I won't spoil season one too much if you haven't seen it. But season one is kind of about him finding out that he's an Ajin. Ajin, unfortunately, are not treated so well in the society that he lives in. Um, a lot of them are taken in for experimentation. People don't like them. People are scared of them. You know how it is. People fear what they don't understand, that whole that whole thing. So a lot of the season one is just kind of about him being on the run. And then he runs across this dude named Sato, who is probably one of my favorite anime villains as of, as of recent. 
and he's he's trying to band all of the hygiene together to kind of fight back against the government because you know the government's been taking them in for experimentation so season one kind of runs through that part by the end of season one you realize sato's that dude he's not to be played with he will body you in an instant and he won't think about it he won't care about it <laughs> so he has some really great fight sequences in season one so if you haven't seen season one go go back and watch that i believe it's only 12 episodes in season two is only 13 they might both be 13 they're really quick really quick watches you could binge you could binge each season in a day really if you wanted to but so season two well i'll start with this when season one ended all right i guess i am giving away a spoiler whatever if you haven't seen hodging season one just mute this part or skip the rest of the podcast watch season one before you come back but (laughs) season one ends basically with sato uh who's the main villain as i said earlier kind of making his demands and he's like i'm Basically, if you guys don't give us some kind of rights, some kind of civil rights, if you guys don't start treating us right, we're about to take this whole country over. So he initiates these phases. Uh, I forgot what phase one was. He had phase one and then phase two, which was like an assassination hit list. And then phase three for him was like government takeover. So when season two starts, season two is pretty much phase two and three rolled into one. So it's the assassination hit list. And it's him basically like, dude, we're... We're about to take over this whole country and we're about to run all of y'all out of here <laughs> because he, the thing I like about Ajin, I love a good villain and Sato's one of those villains where he's just crazy. Like there's no other way to describe it. And those villains to me are the most fun because, you know, you can't, you can't bribe a villain like that with money or anything like that like to him this whole Ajin thing man it's just a game like it's it's us against you know humans so pretty much Ajin against the world and we're gonna let's see who wins and he just kind of has fun just just messing with society and just taking people out and he and uh Kei uh at one point during, you know, if you watch the first season, you know, they, I don't say they were on the same page, but they tried to coexist, didn't work out. Now they're at each other next. K wants to kill him. And I like season two kind of, I can't say it was better than season one, to be honest. I felt like season one was a bit more intense, I guess I would say. But season two wasn't too far off. You still get to see K try to figure out how he's gonna, you know, how he's gonna take Sato down, and then, you know, he's he's kind of you know he's different from Sato though. He kind of has his own motivations. He's not worried about trying to take over the world. He's basically he's trying to chill out. He just doesn't want to be bothered, but he realizes he can't sit idle on the sideline because as long as Sato is around, he's gonna have an issue. So. I like how they they play that off of that dynamic and then we also get you know a lot of the other returning characters um the agent uh Tosaki and I cannot remember the girl's name that protects him but she still she still shows up she has a few uh dope fights I also like that without spoiling you get to see some new Ajin like you get to see Ajin do things that we did not see in the first season and it was also cool to see K kind of progress because, you know, as in the first season of Ajin and even starting a lot of parts of the second season, he was not he he was getting better with his Ajin, but he still didn't quite know how to control it all the way. And this season does kind of dive into more about what Ajin are like, what they can do if you can train them right. Um, the doctor guy, I know I'm terrible with character names, but the doctor that they, uh, you know, that they have on their side, he, him and Kay have a lot of back and forth convos about the Ajin and, you know, the doctor's asking them how, how many can you create at one time and things like that. 
And it's just cool to kind of see that progress and see K eventually does get, he gets better with his hygiene. Um, he does take his licks though in this season, I will say. Um, the fight scenes, I still feel like season one had better fight scenes. Not to say that the season two fight scenes were bad. Um, K definitely does though. He takes his licks in this season. He catches catches the business a couple times. Um, I love seeing the agent, uh, whose name unfortunately I can never remember. You know what? I gotta stop. I gotta find her name because it's gonna it's gonna piss me off if I can't. Azumi. There we go. So Azumi, who uh, protects Tosaki, uh, as you all know, she's an Ajin, which some people in the show don't know, but she she has some fights in here, and actually, she she gets a pretty formidable challenge, in one of her fights, she she took some licks, some licks too. Like, I like how in season two, it did seem like for a while, man, when at least in terms of the physical confrontations, the villains were getting the best. Like, they they were up on the scoreboard. <laughs> they were definitely getting up on the scoreboard. So, yeah, the, the characters in Season 2, we do get introduced to a few new characters, a few uh, returning characters. Without spoiling what he does, um, I know in the first season, I liked Kay's, uh friend Kaito and then in the first season I can't remember after what episode but he kind of just disappeared he does return in the second season I won't spoil too much what he does but I'm happy that he's back I like how he gets in the mix and he's not even an hygiene but he's still down to scrap like <laughs> that's the kind of homie that's that's who you need on the squad when it gets real but he he shows up and he actually meets a really interesting dude uh and the juvenile center that he was locked up in, which I guess that's a mini spoiler, but whatever. Um, I won't, I'll say this, the guy that he met in this juvenile center, I'm praying that if they do a season three, he is in there because that guy's hygiene is on some other stuff. And I'm going to just leave it at that. That guy's hygiene, <laughs> he's, it, you don't get to see him fight, but I know, I know he's on another level. But I'm hoping in, in season three, if they make one, he's in there. Um, other things covered in season two, you kind of get to see more. I hate to draw this comparison. It might be off. But for people, who, if you watch The Walking Dead, especially, you know, the recent seasons with Negan and everything. The later, the latter half of The Walking Dead before, you know, it went off for, for the season, you kind of got a glimpse into the mindset, not just of Negan, but like his people and the dynamic between his, how they, why and how, why they like, why they follow him, why they allow him to be the leader. And I feel like with the Negan, you know, Walking Dead aspect, you kind of get a sense that it's not so much that people respect him. They're just they're just terrified of him because you know if you cross the line, you're done. And you kind of you, you see glimpses of that in Ajin in this season also with Sato and uh, Tanaka, who's like his right-hand man. You kind of see these moments without giving away too much that there are points where they question Sato's leadership and what he's actually doing because at one point it kind of seems like, all right, we have a clear and concise goal here. Let's go for it. But as the season goes on, Sato, man, he, he wilds out. <laughs> he starts doing some, you know, he starts going in Sato mode, man. He he gets, he's reckless. You, you know, if you've watched Ajin, man, this, this dude's reckless. He, he, he does whatever. He, he doesn't care. And you start to see his people a little bit. They're like, all right, I thought I was in this for the right cause. But this guy over here, man, he's bugging out. Like, <laughs> So you, you get to see how that dynamic plays out between him and his troops. And that ends in a very, excuse me, I'm over here sick. But that ends in a very interesting way also. You, you get to see 
you get to see some loyalty be tested. You get to see who's really down for the team and who's not. And also, uh, circling back to so- Tosaki, you all know how he's just in. He's been cutting through a lot of red tape. He keeps cutting through the red tape in this season. He 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 gets caught up in some <laughs> some bad some bad spots on more than one occasion on this show. So I would say for 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 season two, it it, it definitely picks up good right where season one left off. To me, um, I think it was a little slower than season one. I feel like things didn't really kick off too much until around like the latter half of the season. Um, but when things did kick did kick off, definitely got real. Um, towards the latter half, you do get a lot of good fights going on, lots of good hygiene fights. Um, Sato still catching bodies <laughs> like nobody's business. As I mentioned, he his his phase two was an assassination hit list. A lot of people got hit. A lot of people got hit. And the ending set up. Won't spoil it. The ending set up for definitely set up for a possible season three. They got a lot of different directions they can go in now. I'm interested to see what they do uh, with season three. I'm pretty sure they'll make one. Also heard on a note, if uh, Wikipedia is correct, that there will be a live action Ajin, um that I believe is actually directed by the same people who did the Roroni Kenshin live action, which if you saw the Roroni Kenshin live action, I was one of the best. Well, all right, I've only seen the first movie. I have the second one and I still haven't watched it, but that was one of the best anime to live action adaptions I've ever seen. So, hopefully that team can bring that that skill set they got over to Ajin. Because I know in, in terms of action, this is definitely a good anime if you've never watched Ajin. You want to see some action. You want to see kind of some supernatural, you know, supernatural beings do, do their thing. Um, give it a watch. Like I said, lots of, lots of violence, lots of action. Plot's real easy and simple to follow. It's a very... It's a very straightforward show, you know. To me, not every show needs to be complex with plots and subplots and all that extra, you know. Sometimes it's good to have a show. It's what you got. This what's going on. Here you go. And you, you get to see the homie K Nagai do his thing. Um you get to see Sato continue to do his thing. And it's kind of a made the best man win. And I won't spoil it, but you'll you'll see how you'll see how how it ended. If I feel like if you like season one, you'll like season two. If you've never watched Ajin, give it a give it a look. Like I said, the animation style might probably probably throw you off a little bit, but if you can get past the animation style, you can get past that cell shade, you know, three D style like Nice of Sidonia. I don't see why if you like action, you won't like this show. So. Yeah, I think that's about it. I'm coming up almost on an hour now, and I don't want to keep y'all here too long. I know you probably got things to do, people to see, all that good stuff. Or if you're at work, you know, if you got work to do, don't don't get fired because you're listening to me. I'm, I'm not worth it, but I appreciate you sticking by me. Um, So, yeah, we covered some sports, covered the Clemson football anime, I think, next week. Um, let's see, what what do we have coming up here? Oh, I will uh, be back with uh, my co-host in crime, uh, my homie the Anti-Cool, who helped me review the UFC card, because there is another card, I believe, on Sunday. So I will be watching that card closely. I'm, I'm not excited about seeing BJ Penn, but I'll save that for that card. But yeah, I'll definitely... Uh, We'll definitely link up. I'll link back up with him. We'll review that card next week. Um, I'll probably end up covering these wild card games this weekend. And I also got some albums I want to talk about, man. I got to gotta do an episode on this Tone Deaf Polymer album. I feel really strongly <laughs> about this album. And I, I really want people to just give it a listen. Because it's something different. It's something dope. And I, I want that album to have an episode kind of by itself. But, um, so yeah, I'm going to be working on that sometime soon, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got for now. 
This has been uh, episode three of the Dojo Talk podcast. I'm your host, Serial Sensei. Look me up on WordPress under Serial Sensei. You can look me up on YouTube under the same name. I'm also on Twitch, which haven't been on too much lately. Hopefully that'll change, but I'm also on there. If you want to check me out, I will leave relevant links uh, to this episode in the description. Also, I'll leave a link to the intro song because I switched it up this week. Uh, this intro song that I use uh, is my homie Richard Desiree, personal friend of mine, great rapper, talented, probably one of literally, and I'm not just saying this because I know him, but probably literally one of the most talented people I've ever met. I'll leave a link to that song, which is entitled Blind Ambition. I'll try to find the Bandcamp link, and I'll leave that down there. So go check that album out. And um, yeah, so thanks for watching. It's my day off. I'm going to go enjoy my day off and be lazy and wash clothes, all that good stuff. Hope you guys have a good day, and until next time, I will catch you guys later.